Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. My name is Ryan Miner. You are listening to a minor detail brought to you by the Change Montgomery County Radio Network. This morning, I am hosting economist Alan Cole, who is a, an economist for the Center for the Federal Tax Policy at the Tax Foundation. And Alan's research on federal taxes has been cited in Congress and in newspapers around the country. He came to the Tax Foundation from Capitol Hill, where he worked for the Republican Study Committee. Allen grew up in the D.C. area before earning his degree in economics from Yale University. And today, I'd like to welcome Alan Cole. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Alan, let's jump right into it. Uh, I had reached out because I had seen your piece um, uh, where you had analyzed Donald Trump's tax plan. And... um, a lot to talk about. And so Donald Trump on Monday released uh, his tax plan, um, and he wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. And his plan calls for four brackets, 0%, 10%, 20%, and 25% with no no marriage penalty and no alternative minimum tax, which is short for the AMT tax. And you did a detailed analysis, Alan, and uh, in, on the, the Tax Foundation, and I'm reading from the website, and you described his plan as not revenue neutral. And Trump says that my plan is revenue neutral, and he said with moderate growth, this plan is revenue neutral. And you wrote that you do not believe this to be true under any scenario. So, Alan, let's start. Let's break down Donald Trump's tax plan. Absolutely. So – One of the most significant things, and this is something that Mr. Trump has talked about a lot, is the size of the standard deduction or zero bracket, the amount of income you can earn before you owe any tax at all. And Donald Trump has raised that all the way up to $50,000 for a married couple and $25,000 for a single. And that's about four times higher than it would be under current law. So he's kind of quadrupled the um, minimum threshold for owing income tax. And even then, after that, uh, there's a pretty expansive 10% bracket, much larger than the um, lowest bracket under current law. So when you look at, say, a married couple making $100,000 a year in wage income, under current law, they they might owe taxes in in kind of the 12 to 13 percent range. And under the Trump plan, they owe less than 5 percent in taxes. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously a staggering difference. And in truth, while while the tax system depends heavily on like the very wealthy, it depends a great deal on the moderately wealthy, too, and and the moderately wealthy you know, outnumber the very wealthy by quite a bit. And so when you look at Trump's tax plan as not just a tax cut for the middle class and the upper middle class, but the upper middle class as well, you can see one of the places where it's going to turn a lot of revenue back and give it back to the American people. But then Mm -hmm. even at the higher end, you see huge reductions in the top rates on almost every kind of income. Alan, I I want to start out and I want to break 
this t- uh, the tax plan because uh, many people in America they uh, I would say that tax policy is sort of the the mundane sludge of 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 Washington and it's and it's very detailed and sometimes complex and arcane policy and that's why I brought you on today because you do a really great job of basically breaking this down so people can understand this in simple simplified terms. So when Donald Trump says that his plan will be revenue neutral, what is that concept? What does that mean to be revenue neutral? Revenue neutral means he thinks that he can close enough deductions or loopholes, though he hasn't really specified those, or grow the economy enough that people end up paying about the same amount of taxes in aggregate, and the federal treasury doesn't get any worse off. Um, that That's what he has said a few times that his plan would do. And looking at these provisions, uh, I don't think he's close to getting that. He, he's a bit of a salesman, and I think he's <laughs> overselling his plan here. Well, of course, he thinks it's tremendous, and in his article that he wrote in the Wall Street Journal, which I think that people should understand when you're running for president or you're running for Congress, oftentimes people write your editorials for you or your your op-eds, and it's not the candidate because I'm reading the syntax of uh, Donald Trump's Wall Street Journal plan. And this is not to to disparage Mr. Trump in any way. However, I believe that somebody else definitely wrote this piece and not Mr. Mr. Trump because it does not fit the pattern of his typical syntax. And I just want to add that in incidentally. Um, he, he did say that my approach to tax policy will do just what needs to be done. And he wrote, for all Americans, the uncertainty and complexity of a tax code written for special interests and the very rich, rich like Mr. Trump himself, will be removed and a clear future will be available for all. Um, you wrote a – I'm assuming it's sort of like a white paper or a breakdown. It's a, the details and the analysis of this tax plan. And so you right. had um, one, two, three, four, five – you had about six key findings. And Alan, could you go – could you articulate each of those key findings, and then we'll go into some of the more detailed complexities of this, the, the tax plan? Absolutely. So – among the important things that, that I chose to kind of pick out and put at, at the top of my report, because I think they're the most important aspects of this plan, um, the first is that it would substantially lower individual income taxes and the corporate income tax and eliminate a number of complex features. Um, it's a tax reduction and a bit of a tax simplification as well. I also talked about the revenue effects. I, I think it's about a $12 trillion tax cut over 10 years from what I've seen so far. Um, However, if you could um, finance that tax cut appropriately through, say, spending cuts or or, um, something similar, the effects of this plan um, create some economic growth, and it might only cost something more like $10 trillion from what we've seen so far um, after you account for the economic growth. on the other side of that, though, that number I just gave you, the $12 trillion, that doesn't include the increased outlays due to higher interest on any debt he might ring up if he doesn't cut spending sufficiently. Um, 
Now, the economic growth I talked about, that's because he's reducing the marginal tax rate, um, the amount of, of money from each extra hour worked, um, each extra amount of wage or salary you earn, um, the amount that gets taken by the government. He's reduced that for basically all kinds of workers. And he's also reduced the after-tax cost of capital, what it costs to, say, have your company buy um, more industrial drills so that it can um, get um, work done. Um, he, he's reduced the tax rates on both of those by quite a lot. And so if he can appropriately finance that huge $12 trillion number, um, then you could see potentially gross domestic product or kind of economic production of about 11% higher over the long term. But certainly the if he can finance it is a huge caveat. Um, right. It would lead yeah. to a larger capital stock, but that is to say would have more buildings, would have more industrial plants, more equipment, um, bigger private sector, and more jobs, um, possibly in the millions um, from, from the reduced tax rates on workers, it encourages more people to go out and, and um, get a job as a means to get more income. And um, the last thing that, that I pulled out as a kind of key finding of this is that it would cut taxes and lead to higher after-tax incomes for all taxpayers at all levels of income. It's just pretty much purely a net tax cut. It would be very hard to find someone whose taxes would be higher under right. this plan. So that's why I think it's going to reduce revenue. Uh, Alan, uh, Mr. Trump writes in the Wall Street Journal that his first goal is to provide tax relief. And he writes that if a single person making less than $25,000 or is married or filing jointly and earning less than $50,000 – that person will not owe any income tax. And he said that this will remove 75 million households from the income tax rolls. Is, an, is that an accurate portrayal of his plan? Um, so there are a lot of people who are already at effectively zero income tax or something close to that. And um, – if he's saying 75 million in addition to the people who are already paying effectively zero income tax, that, that sounds maybe like a little bit too much to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but the idea that he's, I haven't checked this number exactly, but um, maybe 75 million households in total being off the, the income tax rolls would not be a uh, you know, totally off estimate. Um, it, it sounds like it could be reasonable to me. And regardless of what exact number in the tens of millions I would come up with, I think his general idea um, that he's removing a huge number of households from the tax rolls, that's accurate. Okay. He writes that, second, the tax code will be simplified. Instead of multiple tax brackets with multiple variations, there will only be four brackets. And to repeat, then, they are 0%, 10%, 20% and 25%. He writes that the new code eliminates the marriage penalty and the alternative minimum tax while providing the lowest tax rate since World War II. Is that an accurate claim, Alan? Um, I, I would push back on the idea that 
reducing the number of brackets specifically is a kind of important simplification. I think there are more important simplifications out there, but certainly that bracket structure would be a like really great feature to any taxpayer who wants a lower tax burden. Sure. Um, and 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 currently, let's juxtapose Mr. Trump's plan with with what is currently in place. How many tax brackets? are currently in place in the United States? There are seven, if I recall correctly. Okay, and what are those seven? Um, oh, let's count them up. Um, 10 15%, 25%, 28%, 33%, 35%, and 39.6%. And the 39.6%, so, yeah, that's... That's a lot. That's a huge percentage. And that 39%, where, who is paying that 39% right now? Um, that's about if you make over $400,000 a year, give or take a little bit. Um, the amount goes up with inflation uh, every year. They, they've inflation indexed it. And um, it's slight, the, the amount is slightly larger for joint filers and slightly lower for single filers. But essentially, once you're in that, that $400,000 income level, that's when they, they come at you with the 39.6% bracket. And Alan, would that tax bracket be considered the top 1%? Um, yeah, that that definitely would be uh, about the cutoff for the top 1%. I think actually almost exactly. Okay. Um, and they 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 mentioned two tax. Mr. Trump mentioned in his Wall Street Journal op-ed uh, that he would eliminate the marriage penalty and the alternative minimum tax. Could you talk about both? All right. The marriage penalty is what happens when you've got tax brackets for people um, who are single, and then different tax brackets for um, people who are married filing jointly, and then this can also be um, applied to things like tax credits that might take that into account. Um, an issue that any tax code has to face is um, what happens when two different people um, combine their incomes after they get married. Um, are they going to have the same tax burden? Are they going to have a higher tax burden? Or are they going to have a lower tax burden? And Sometimes it ends up with them having a higher tax burden, and a lot of people don't like that. Um, the reason that kind of happens is um, well, when you apply a progressive tax code, um, you might think, um, you know, some, someone who's earn, earning $150,000 a year, they're doing pretty well, whereas someone who's earning $25,000 a year, um, not as well. And so you should tax the person earning $150,000 a year at a higher rate. Um, but then um, when you might even think that the person earning $25,000 a year shouldn't be taxed at all, and in fact that's what Donald Trump does. But then when you combine the two, um, then, then your kind of calculus of um, how well off are these people kind of changes because now they're a married couple and in total they're making 175 and now it looks like they're both pretty well off and, and you know you can 
tax that couple at a moderately high rate and they'll be all right. And so um, the issue is that if you kind of look at those cases separately, um, you'll maybe come up with some different conclusions about who is well off and who can afford to pay taxes than if you look at them individually. Um, so it's always been a tricky issue. Every tax code kind of struggles with how to handle this. Um, but one thing you can do is just make sure that the married brackets are always exactly double um, what the single brackets are. Um, but doing that is costly, particularly at the high end, uh, as we just talked about with the 39.6% bracket. Um, President Obama has been trying to apply that to everyone who's making over $400,000 a year, whether you're single or married or, or whatever. Right, right. And and in writing, finally, he said that the plan is not going to add to our deficits or to the national debt. And, he's, and he went on to write that with disciplined budget management and elimination of waste, fraud, and abuse, Mr. Trump's plan will allow the nation to balance the budget, boost the economy to record levels, clear the backlog of workers sitting at home, and begin the process of reducing the debt. Alan, will Mr. Trump's plan reduce the deficit or the national debt? And as he said, is it an accurate statement that his plan will not add to the national debt or the deficit? Uh, I think that's inaccurate from what we've seen so far. Um, but, but of course, candidates have um, a lot of time before they, they would actually be in any sort of um, – position to enact their plans, and they've got time to revise them. But for, for Mr. Trump's plan to be um, a revenue-neutral plan, a policy platform that doesn't add to the debt would need to see some revenue-raising provisions or some spending-cutting provisions. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I'm looking at some of the uh, the charts that uh, are listed on the, the details and analysis of uh, the the plan and um, and so it's kind of broken down and one of the important uh, pieces of the uh, of your analysis is the economic plan or the I'm sorry the economic impact and and you uh, and it's written that according to our taxes and growth model the increased incentive to work and invest from this plan would increase the size of the economy by 11 percent over the long run and. The plan would lead to 6.5% higher wages and 29% larger capital stock. And in Table 2 of uh, the economic impact of Donald Trump's plan, uh, you have the GDP at 11.5%, capital investment at 29%, and wage rate at 6.5%. So could you talk about that chart and as it relates to the Trump plan? Absolutely. So um, the way that economists often look at, at – the economy as a whole is there's kind of a cooperative, um, what we call a production function. Basically, uh, the people and their equipment kind of work together in order to get things done. And um, the Trump plan substantially reduces taxes both on the work that people do and the um, creation of, of equipment like um, drills or, or uh, machinery or um, houses or um, commercial structures, anything like that. And um, so we would see that as a reduction in the 
working Alan, and more machinery. And, yep. Sorry about that. I You cut out for a second. Yeah, please continue. Um, if you lower the after-tax price of things like um, labor and capital, um, the, the two elements that work together, um, you get more of them. And we could see that happening under the Trump plan. But you, you do have to think of this as being kind of an incomplete score so far because um, from what we've seen so far, this is um, a large federal revenue reduction, and we haven't seen what kind of um, revenue-raising provisions or spending cuts would um, also be included. And those might kind of change how we view the plan as a whole. Mm-hmm. And and Mr. Trump's plan, uh, Alan, can you talk about who the winners and the losers are in the plan? Um, the winners are both middle-class taxpayers and wealthy taxpayers and businesses. Um, Trump sold this as a, a tax cut for the middle class, and that's certainly true. But um, if I were... Um, a wealthy business owner, especially if I were filing a, as an S corporation, the sort that file through the individual tax code, I mm-hmm. would be very happy with hearing about that 15% rate that he's promising me. Um, so it's great for middle-class people. It's great for businesses. The loser here is pretty much exclusively the federal treasury. <laughs> um, and that is part of the the claim that he said that it's going to be revenue neutral. And again, I want to stress this, that you, Alan Cole, an economist from the Independent Tax Foundation, believe that there is no way that Mr. Trump's plan could even possibly be revenue neutral. And for just another opportunity to articulate that, can you explain to my listeners why Mr. Trump's plan in no way, shape, or form could possibly be classified as revenue neutral? Absolutely. So um, a a simple way of thinking about it is the government is a service that um, the taxpayers have to pay for. And Donald Trump just went out there and told us that he's going to remove a lot of people from the tax rolls, tell a lot of people that they don't have to pay. But even then, of the minority of people that he's keeping on the tax rolls, he's giving them lower rates substantially lower rates even. For example, the those pass-through businesses we talked about, 39.6% top rate, yeah, the, all the, the way down court. to a 15% rate. So when you're relying on fewer people and you're lowering their rates, um, there's just no way you're going to get the same amount of money as you did before. Um, when When you first discovered his tax plan, did you have any advanced knowledge or how did you first ascertain a copy of Mr. Trump's tax plan? Did someone from his campaign send it to your uh, your institute to analyze it, or did you find it like the rest of us? Um, I found it like the rest of you, although um, we're always happy to um, provide advice to any lawmaker who has questions about the tax code. You know, we'll, we'll do that. We'll have private conversations. But um, in this case, we, we looked at the plan as it was published, um, when it was given to um, the the public at large, right? And the the Tax Foundation has been established since 1937. It's a venerable organization uh, in Washington, and you're an independent organization. So you're not 
you are not plugging for any Republican or any Democrat. Is that correct? That's right. Um, we're a 501c3. We don't take sides on specific political issues. Um, we, we would never tell you to vote for a particular bill or for, for a particular candidate. And we don't take any money from any of these presidential campaigns. Um, we just um, look at, at the policy proposals that they're making, and we try to tell people what they do. Okay. Uh, another question, Alan. What uh, of the presidential candidates running on both the Republican and Democratic side, and many of the candidates have not yet released a tax plan. Some have. I know that Jeb Bush has. I know that Rand, Senator Rand Paul has, and uh, a few others. What do you make of the other candidates' tax plans? Um, the the ones that we've looked at in detail, because the most detail has been released, um, are um, Governor Bush, Rand Paul, uh, and also Senator Marco Rubio has released a, a pretty detailed plan. Okay. Um, what we've seen from those other three tax plans is that they cut taxes by um, less overall, substantially less. Um, for example, um, Marco Rubio kept a 35% top rate for individuals for many kinds of income, um, like wage and salary income. And um, the rate reductions in the Jeb Bush plan are a little bit less ambitious. And while Senator Paul went with large rate reductions, um, if you look at what he's doing on the business side, he is substantially broadening the base um, to a sort of tax that we really haven't had in the United States before. Um, his business transfer tax is close to kind of what's been done in Japan. Um, so... The other GOP um, candidates have really made a few more concessions to um, keeping federal revenues up than, than Donald Trump has, and they've done it in a kind of diversity of ways. Um, and I, when I, we, we first saw Governor Bush's tax plan and Rand Paul's tax plan, Rand, Rand Paul is saying that you could fill out a postcard with your uh, your yearly tax uh on where uh, you just send in this postcard is that would that be an accurate description of um if, if should Rand Paul be elected president would that be an accurate description of how tax uh, how people would then fill out their taxes in the future um, Rand Paul has definitely simplified the tax code by quite a lot and by moving a, a bunch of it to the business side um he's made things substantially easier and every GOP candidate has done some simplification preference, some simplification ideas. But mm -hmm. one thing about Rand Paul's plan that is maybe not so simple, and th this is not really his fault, is if you look at the earned income tax credit, which mm -hmm. he decided to preserve because it's important for um, low-income Americans and it helps them out, um, that's actually a pretty complex provision, and he decided not to mess with it. Um, maybe over the long run, he, he would want to do something with it um, to make it a little bit easier to file. Um, but it is a tricky provision. I've looked at its instruction booklet. It's about 50, it's about 50 pages, and um, that that's a area of high complexity that uh, even under the Rand Paul plan, people would still have to deal with. Uh, should someone like Bernie Sanders be elected president, what kind of tax plan do you expect? 
we've heard some things from Bernie Sanders so far, um, particularly um, the most important thing to note is when he talks about universal health care and um, some of his spending priorities, um, those are almost as large or about as large in the opposite direction as um, Donald Trump's tax cuts. Um, Donald Trump's tax cuts are somewhere in the, the $10 trillion range, and it looks like Bernie Sanders' spending priorities are about that same size but um, on the spending side. And one thing that, that um, his campaign manager, I believe, said at one point is one of the ways they're looking at to um, generate that degree of revenue is through payroll taxes, kind of similar to the ones that um, you pay for Social Security. So uh, right. under a Bernie Sanders regime, um, the taxes on work would go up considerably, but um, – he would hope to create a universal health care system or something similar. Yeah, and I haven't I haven't seen any plan from Hillary yet and she may have released I just haven't seen it. Uh I haven't and I and I and of course the other candidates, um Martin O'Malley, Lincoln Chafee and Jim Webb. Um I haven't heard much from them either, but I'm sure that the tax plans will be juxtaposed next to one another. And I know that this plan is being discussed. And when I caught wind of your article, when I read it, I thought it was fantastic. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on today to, to break this down because, look, tax policy is complex. It's, it's, it's tough for some people to, to really grasp. And, and, and I'm saying that as someone that, like myself, who have, you know, need someone like you to break it down. So, Alan, I really appreciate you taking the time today to come on, and I certainly hope you decide to come back. Well, thank you. Okay. Glad to be here. Alan Cole of the Tax Foundation, thank you for joining us, and this is another episode of A Minor Detail. Take care.